Welcome to our podcast, Transparently Speaking. I am Diana, and I have a son who transitioned at a young age to become his true self. And I am Joy. I have also supported my daughter to transition at an early age. We are here to share our experience and our learning along this journey. We want to provide support and guidance parent to parent. And if you find yourself on a similar journey, we want you to know that you are not alone. So let's dive in, transparently speaking. All right, folks, here we are, schools number two. We're excited to dive into the topic we didn't get to cover the last time we talked about disclosure. And I think we've got a couple other topics we're going to include as well. But before we do that, Diana, I realized in our first schools episode, I shared Samantha's story in terms of her experience and my experience um, going to the administrators and what the expectations were about the bathroom. And I'm curious kind of what your and or Clark's experience was like as you guys went through that transition of using the bathroom of choice. Oh, yeah. So Clark was so excited to get the opportunity to use the boys' bathroom. I mean, it's something he had talked about for actually a couple of years, but I never understood. I thought it was just a curiosity what's in there. First, I would ask him each day when he'd come home from school, hey, how'd it go? Did you use the bathroom today? And like, yeah. At the beginning, it was something like four to six times a day he was using the bathroom. I think he was so excited just to be able to go in there and wash his hands and things. And then one day I asked him about going in there. He told me that there was a student um, who he had been in class with previously who did not know about his transition because now he was in a different class and the school would not help us reach out to families and his family's information was not in the school directory. So I had no way to get a hold of them. And since he didn't know, and he saw Clark come in to the bathroom, he said, Hey, you can't be in here. You have to go to the girl's bathroom. And he started physically pushing him out. Um, luckily there were other kids there, one of whom was kind of like this highly respected kid in the grade, cool kid, whatever you want to call it, who didn't know us. And I don't know what he knew or didn't know, never been in class with him before, but for whatever reason, he stepped in, he said, Hey, leave him alone. Let him go to the bathroom. And Clark went in and used the bathroom. And that was the end of that. But I think it changed Clark because it was not long after that, that when I was asking, have you used the bathroom? He started saying, no, he wasn't using the bathroom at all. And so he started having conversations about how that's not good and that's not healthy. Even though he tried to tell me I didn't have to go. I don't know that I totally believed him because he used to come home and go to the bathroom right away with some urgency. Um, but we just kept having conversations about it. Like, it's okay, it's safe. And I eventually ran into that student's parents and I got a chance to talk to them. That was our big bathroom thing. That and the question that I got very early on, why do people sit down to go to the bathroom? Mm. He obviously recognized at some point that most of the kids, I'm guessing were using urinals and not many people use the stall. And I said, well, some People just sit down to pee, whether they have a penis or not. Um, some people sit down when they're pooping. That's real common. You know, and I always, because he was seven, tried to make light of things. They might have made some <laughs> noises, bathroom noises to make him laugh. And 
But I said, there are other reasons. Sometimes people with a penis might have a, something called a hypospadias, which just means the opening is not at the tip of the penis it's on the side. So they have to sit to be, I said, sometimes people may have a Prince Albert piercing. I think that's what it's called where the tip of the penis is pierced. So it creates a spray so they can't use a urinal unless they want to make everyone dirty. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know? And so I'm like, the point is like, there's tons of reasons to sit to be. And I think that helped him to just realize there are lots of reasons. Well, I, um, one thing I wanted to highlight that you mentioned, um, I guess two things. So one is the sitting to pee. I think that's an interesting topic because you and I have shared with each other before the use of the hand sort of over the genital area, you know, while sitting. Um, And that is something Samantha does because of course that I think creates some privacy in the instance, you know, the door didn't lock fully and someone were to come in or whether there'd be a curtain or something like that. And you had shared with me that that's also a technique that Clark uses. Right. So yes, what we're talking about is if there's any concern, um, for example, one time there was a facility that had a curtain instead of a door or a bathroom. And we just talked about the technique of putting your hand right in front um, because people with penises would push down, push their penis down. So the hand's right there in front. So it could kind of look like he's doing that and therefore covering up so no one could see and it wouldn't be something unusual um, in the instance where he thinks there's not a lot of privacy in the stall. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else about Clark's experience in, in that kind of bathroom space that's worth highlighting? No, I think he's definitely gained confidence and it's interesting. I still don't think he loves to use it in the, ba- in the schools, but I have to be honest, neither did I growing up part of it was because of time part of it's because I thought they were dirty gross I don't know if his are or aren't <laughs> but I would say at the beginning I would used to get so nervous at sending him into the men's bathroom I still get a little bit nervous you know like I try to stand near and listen for any commotion but I think we've both gotten more confident knowing how to I don't know how to na- he navigates it, but he's gotten more confident navigating it. I got more confident that he knows how to navigate it. Yeah. I think the other thing I realized I was going to mention is you talked about the frequency with which Clark was using the bathroom. And I remember during the support group meetings that I would attend, there was a real concern and a real conversation about needing that bathroom opportunity to be a safe space, right? So whether children chose to, um, you know, use like a, a non-gender for all type bathroom or whether they wanted to use a gendered bathroom of their choice. The concept was it was really important for the schools to create a safe space because there are kids who, when they're not feeling safe, won't use the bathroom. And that of course is not a situation you want your child in and um, often means like kids then are choosing not to eat or drink because they don't want to have to use the bathroom. right? Right. And so wanted to share that with listeners to Um, kind of open their eyes to why it's really important to have a safe space for bathroom use because it goes above and beyond just access. It's influencing kids' behaviors and choices around how they're going to eat and drink, which obviously impacts their wellness and their ability to function throughout the day. Absolutely. 
Yeah, absolutely. And we kept having the conversations with them of the risks of getting bladder infections, you know, holding it all day. And it's just not good for a system. It's not good for a system not to drink water. And it was hard though, because at his age, he couldn't really verbalize or wouldn't verbalize. I'm not sure which, why he wouldn't use it, but we just kept it gently encouraging, like, you can go on off times because he's such a rule follower. We had his teacher tell him if you ever need to go to the bathroom, because sometimes in the middle of class, nobody's in there, which is plus or minus because by any chance, one other kid is in there that had the same reaction as that one student, then he wouldn't have had help. Just thinking about things like that and reminding him and the teacher about possibly using a buddy system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's, most of the conversations about bathrooms. I think the one other thing we didn't talk about in approaching schools besides names, bathrooms, misgendering, the fourth thing is disclosure. And it's knowing ahead of time, who do you think should know in school? And I've had the experience that I've had one idea and the principal has had a different idea of who should know. And it's working that out and figuring that out. So for us at the beginning, since Clark transitioned within the same school, I thought it was okay for everyone to know, um, teacher-wise. The idea was that if teachers were aware, if there was any sort of conflict, they might be more sensitive to figure out what is the conflict rather than kids will be kids. I don't think that we announced it to all teachers, though. I think the principal might have said something like, you know, we have a transgender student this year or something along those lines. Didn't necessarily say who it was, but like, let's, let's learn, let's be ready. Um, but I do think they let all the, all of his teachers like PE and art and music know. And Diana, you were saying that first year, maybe, or that, you know, as you guys went through this transition, maybe you were also on this learning journey and not having a clear vision of who you thought needed to know. So it was more of a collaborative discussion with the school about who needed to know. So true. My experience was um, similar. I don't think, you know, this wasn't one of the requests I came in with in terms of how do we decide together, you know, collaboratively about that disclosure topic. The way we approached it was we said all that first level teachers invited kind of everybody in and I, I explained kind of what transgender was and why this was important for my child. And we included all the other teachers, like the specials teachers, you know, the gym teacher and the art and the music. Um, so any teacher that might be interacting with my child is the way we did it. And I remember being very emotional during that, during that time, because my concern again was for the well being of my child and also Mm-hmm. I felt this was pretty early in my journey and I was still pretty scared about all of this stuff. Um, so I'm pretty sure I cried through at least like half of this meeting. <laughs> um, and I'm not sure how that, you know, appeared or came off to others, but for me, it was this, I had no real control over how much feeling and care I had for my child and how important this was right. that, I was making a request for people to be supporting us as a family and my child, you know, in starting school. So I I offer that simply because I don't think this concept of disclosure was something we had figured out yet or even determined was a real topic 
And I think it's, as we've continued in our journey, I think our approach to this is different now too. Is that fair for you, Diane? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, something you brought up that I think is definitely a part of my approach now that wasn't then is that you told your story. That's what you said. You talked to the teachers. I never consider that. And now it's a must. If we are going to disclose to anyone, I always say we have to be the ones to tell because we want it in our words, in our way. And that's something I didn't even think about before. If we have to disclose, we're going to control that information as far as how it's presented. Um, because I think we have more experience in that. And, and as far as your emotions, um, yeah, I don't know what it would have been like if I had to tell them myself. As you can tell, I'm pretty matter of fact. <laughs> but beforehand, total wreckage every single time, even now. I mean, I just had to approach a new principle. It's so hard because I think the emotions are like, can we get what we want? What if we don't? I mean, to me, it's like, um, I think one thing I get in my head is like, I can't accept no, right? Like I, my child, need, my children, I have two of them, need what I'm asking for. So if I get a no, I've got to find a different approach. I've got to find a different way, you know, I think there's a bit of a panic, like what will happen to my child? What will happen to my child if they say he can't use the boy's bathroom? What will my decision-making be at that point? And, um, but it's also becomes like, I have to be good enough to make this happen, which isn't really serving me. Right. To yeah. be like, I have to be good enough. Is it, is like you're putting all this pressure on how you're showing up with the school to make the ask and provide all the information. So yeah. they're going to jump on board with your request. Absolutely. And I'm catastrophizing. What if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, my child will be ruined or a homeschool is not an option. <laughs> Well, it's always an option, but <laughs> maybe for some, right? Um, <laughs> what I'm really hearing is, and we talked a little bit about this before, is this concept of coming into the school, being open to a collaborative approach. Right. I think what we touched on in the first episode about schools was really coming in with some requests. Right. I think that was a key piece of advice we were offering our listeners. And I think another piece of advice we're offering here is, Yes, come in with those requests and be open to collaborate because there are probably multiple ways that you can kind of get your and your child's needs met while also recognizing perhaps limitations or concerns that the school or the administration might have and being able to sort of take that worldview of how do we, you know, do its best for all the kids here and my kids, one of all those kids. Right. And I think that's really important. And that was advice given to me. That was one piece of advice I knew early on, be collaborative. So instead of going there, like, you will give me this and this and this, and I know you don't want this for my child. But instead of being more collaborative and saying, you know, hey, we all want what's best for the kids. We know when children are seen, when they're affirmed for their identity, then they do better in school because they're not having to worry about being seen for their true selves, they can focus on the academics. And at the same time, when other students see that a child's affirmed, they can see people are valued for who they are. There's less bullying. People feel good about themselves that they can be themselves at school as well. You know, this never happened, but if they had said, I'm not so sure Clark should use the locker room. Well, that's not true. Initially they said he had to use the gender neutral one. 
you know, I listened and I didn't jump on that right away. And they did say like, what did you think about that? And I said, that's not acceptable for us. (laughs) (laughs) You know, (laughs) that's what I said. Like, yeah, that, that's great that it's an option, but if you make him go in there, you're saying he's something different than the other boys. And I'm not okay with that, you know, but a, another approach would be like, tell me why you think that's important. Yeah. You know, I think what's really important is to say, well, why it's important for you. Well, it's important for me because my child wants to be seen as a boy, like any other boy. Right. Right. And I also remind them, I'm like, nobody wants privacy more than he does. Nobody, nobody's more invested in his privacy than he is. So if he feels he can change in the boys locker room, I'm sure it's going to be fine. Mm-hmm. but it's that like let's work together okay I hear this like this is what you're concerned about here's why I want this how do we come to an understanding right and I think that's why my approach is so matter of fact <laughs> people often say like make it sound so simple and straightforward and it's like yes because it <laughs> is but also because like that helps you know for people to see like oh okay yeah we can do that Diana, I agree. I think when you approach it, and especially you, and it might just be your style to your point as listeners are are considering this, but the way you do approach it and the way you do sort of state things makes it simpler, I think, right? So I think it comes back to when you make a request, it's easy for the other party to understand what you're asking for. (laughs) Because if you're not making a clear request, then it becomes maybe a gray space. So being as matter of fact about what you want or what's important to your child is beneficial for everybody. Absolutely. I think that's such good advice. I am wondering though, we started talking about disclosure and we weaved in and out a couple other topics here. How do you think about disclosure now? Or is there anything you'd like to add there in terms of, you know, advice or learnings along the way? Sure. You know, every step along the way has changed. So when Clark entered middle school, we had moved to a different school district and he wanted the opportunity to start school as a boy, not the transgender boy. And he didn't want to disclose. And I had hesitations because like we moved basically the next door district. So families where we moved to, new families where we used to live. And I just thought there's no way this is going to stay non-disclosed for very long. Talk to him about that, but it's what he wanted. So that always goes down to that. As long as he understands my concerns, again, I'm collaborative with Clark as well as the school. (laughs) Um, I feel it's my duty to go and represent him in that way. And so for that one, we didn't want anyone to know, but the principal. And the superintendent we had to talk to. Uh, And she definitely was concerned initially. She was concerned that her staff um, would get upset if they found out she knew and didn't tell. And that's where I brought up FERPA again, the kind of the hip of education that this is not needed for education to explain and that she could let them know that I I knew that (laughs) and let her know I knew that. But also she was concerned, like if something happened, she's not always available. She's the only person that knows if someone else could know that someone else is available. And I told her I would bring it to him and his attention, but that, 
you know, at the end of the day, it's up to him. And it took me a year to convince him to tell somebody else. And in that time I had been like, it's going to come out. It's going to come out. It's going to come out, like enjoy this now, but it's going to come out because too many people know each other. So much crossover. And here we are (laughs) five years later and it hasn't come out yet. Not that it still can, but, and that's how I've approached it. Cause then at the high school, it's only the superintendent, not even the principal that knew, but it was less of an issue. And then they just got a new principal who actually knew us from years ago. So he actually knows. And I just went in there to say with Clark and, and we told him like, Hey, we know, you know, but just, you know, no one else was, and this is what we want. And he was like, yeah, that's fine. That's as you wish. Okay. So it's interesting hearing kind of your different progressions or different situations based upon the schools. So for Samantha, having transitioned right before she started 5K or kindergarten, there are kids from her 4K that knew her prior to transition that were going to the same school. And as I mentioned, our initial process was to sort of inform all the first level teachers in our school. It's a kindergarten, first grade mix. And then throughout elementary school, I then had good conversations with our school psych And we made conscious choices and we just informed her immediate teacher because the other teachers were largely still the same, the gym and music and art. And so throughout elementary school, that's how we navigated. And just this year, Samantha is starting middle school here in a couple of weeks. And what I have talked to her about is she's not really interested in, in informing other teachers there. Like she doesn't even want to go in informing her primary teacher What's interesting is our principal is a principal that used to be at the elementary school. So it was the very first principal I'd had a conversation with. So now he's at um, the middle school. So I will have just a reminder conversation with him. I anticipate he will remember the scenario. Um, There's going to be a new school psych. So at some point I'm talking with that person, but I don't think that individual has been named. I feel confident though, because there's one teacher that does know. And what we did in the elementary level was we did some education. And I think, um, Diana, we talked about doing an episode on education for the schools and teachers. Right. I did something like that for all the teachers. I was asked actually to do it and it was wonderful. And one of the teachers had come up to me and she also instructs at the university level. And she invited me to one of her university courses to instruct her students about it. And she happens to be the GSA, which stands for gender sexuality alliance teacher um, for kind of their extracurricular clubs there. So she knows, and I've told Samantha, Hey, so there's this one teacher we know that is very supportive. So we feel comfortable in that knowledge that she does have somebody she can go to. And that's the way we're approaching disclosure for her middle school years, at least so far. Right. And I think training is so important for schools to have, and it shouldn't be training around Like it shouldn't be training around Clark or it shouldn't be training around Dinah. It should be training around gender. And because they may be the first, but they're not going to be the last. When schools get trained on gender, it helps with so many things. Like the girl who has short hair or the boy who likes pink, like how do you address that when they get teased or, you know, address comments like you run like a girl, you throw like a girl. It's like, yeah, you wish you ran as fast as I did. But anyway, <laughs> but like, how do you address those things? That all is part of that training. And it just creates a more beautiful environment at a school for all students. 
Awesome. Well, I think that's a wrap here for our second session on schools. We'll do a separate additional portion about that training education piece. We've also talked about how important the human growth education piece is. So we'll make sure that's a future topic for our listeners. Thanks, everybody. Hope you've got some value out of our session today. Take care. That's a wrap on this episode of Transparently Speaking. Thanks for joining us today. Join us again on the 1st and 15th of every month for our next podcast. Thank you to Filter for our awesome music. That's P-H-I-L-T-Y-R. Check them out at Apple Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, or anywhere you download music. As a reminder, we welcome your feedback and questions. Email us anytime at transparentlyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. If you're taking something away from our podcast, we'd appreciate if you'd take a moment to provide us a review. The more listeners and reviews, the more people we can reach and support. Thanks in advance. Cheers from Joy and Diana.